Oh, the weather outside is frightful. Wednesday is not so delightful. But since we've no place to go, Ben Marshall, Ben Marshall, Ben Marshall. Man, the crosses are just not dropping. A medical is all that's stopping. Our chances of promotion are way down low. Ben Marshall, Ben Marshall, Ben Marshall. Just play the opening theme. Winter is coming. We're still podcasting. It is the Owls Americast, Sheffield Wednesday Opinion. With an American accent, I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. I have an Astrid Ale Aged in Aquavit Barrels, which is some sort of Swedish herbal thing from the Allagash Brewing Company that will hopefully ward off the long, cold winter that is episode 10 of our podcast. I am joined by the usual coterie of characters in Ohio, Evan Skilter. Evan, what are you drinking? Today I have Elysian Dayglow IPA. The label has a tiger with rainbow beams coming out of his eyes. And Dayglow crashes the party with the juicy beat of hops, dripping with tropical sunshiny mosaic and sparkling with touches of El Dorado and Centennial. Contains wheat. Good to know for all you gluten-sensitive people out there. Also with us, and just generally sensitive after that Norwich game, Patty Jones. Patty, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking a hot tea with lemon and honey, because I'm a little croaky. And unlike some of our um, podcasters, I fight through illness to come to the podcast, so uh, I am soldiering on like a good little boy. It's getting punchy already. Got some, got some handbags soon. James <laughs> Allen, what are you drinking? <laughs> Um, so I, uh, I've just been to my, uh, my work Christmas party, uh, which was basically a dry affair. And the only thing they were serving in the beer selection was, uh, was Blue Moon, which is a pretty bang average beer, probably a bang average beer for a bang average team, but we'll come to that later on. Um, but on Saturday before the Norwich game, we, uh, we stopped into a little bar called Rattle and Hum in Midtown and, uh, and indulged in a bit of an Imperial Porter by the, uh, the Finback Brewery, uh, called High Contrast. Um, which is about 11%, and, and frankly made the first half seem far better than it turns out it actually was. So I uh, I was fortuitously at the Christmas party right next door to Rattle and Lump, so I brought a crowler of that home with me, and I'm now uh, I'm now settling in and feeling much more positive. Another of your local breweries, even though it's actually a bar. I'll, I'll just throw one more into the mix. Paulo, and what are you drinking? I'm wrapped up nice and warm with my favourite American beer, actually, tonight. I've got um, a few cans of bell's two-hearted ale which comes in it's an american ipa coming in at a punchy seven percent uh very happy it's got a large american trout on the can that's not a michigan woman but the actual fish so i'm very happy tonight just say my answer is a 9.7 so you can tell exactly what kind of podcast this is going to be so we will get into the review of the Norwich City game, as we do, because that's sort of the structure that we've tried to uphold over the first ten episodes. It started well, Evan, I guess. That's what it says in my notes. I might disagree with this, but it started well, Evan. Well, yes, it did. I mean, here, here's the thing. We're coming into the, the match uh, with the understanding, or at least the impression that things were going to open up a little bit, you know, throughout the week, obviously the fire was on Carlos and, um, there was some news that came out that he, he said, yeah, we'll, we'll start to, you know, figure this out and, you know, we'll start to open up. We'll start to attack a little bit. And we yeah, kind of saw that in the first shorts. Yeah. We came out with black shorts, which was amazing. Uh, and, and we started to press a little bit. We were, uh, we were doing a nice job. We, we were pushing the tempo, you know, Rhodes' goal was nice. I mean, it's always nice to score first, um, or so we think. And then, obviously, it, it went all downhill. But I was I was sitting there in the living room watching on the computer uh, for the first, you know, 10, 15 minutes thinking, okay, you know, maybe, uh, maybe there's a chance that we've turned this around. It was a nice, like, a nice bit of play in the final third to set up that Rhodes goal. Like, it's much more incisive than we've been recently, James. 
Yeah, I mean, maybe it wasn't just that particularly uh, punchy uh, porter before we uh, we got into the bar, or the fact that it was freezing outside and that that had started to thaw out my veins. Um, yeah, the, the kind of the, the opening to the game I, I thought was pretty good, and um, actually, you know, at <laughs> full time, Paddy accused me of uh, being a bit schizophrenic, having been relatively positive at half time, but. As the game opened out, Wednesday seemed competitive. We were playing with a reasonably good tempo. We were pressing well. Um, you know, the goal itself was was probably a bit scrappy from Norwich's perspective, and and it was a great poacher's finish from Rhodes. Guess what? If you put balls into the box around the six yard line, Rhodes gets on the end of them. Do we think that Adam Reach actually intended that to be a? Of course he did. Of course he did. No, that, that 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 was that was just a ball pinging around there. But the point is, if the ball is pinging around there and you've got Jordan Rhodes in there, then you get goals out of it, which was fantastic. I thought what was more more telling was, you know, two things really. One, we created more chances after that. Not not immediately after, but about ten minutes later, Hooper had a great chance, which you know, Gunn actually made a. I guess it was more kind of an instinctive save than a than a knowledgeable save where it came off his shoulder, I think. And I think if that had gone in at 2-0, then that might have given Wednesday some real belief. But but also in parallel to that, Wednesday started to sit a little bit deeper and we gave uh, we gave Oliveira uh, one very, very clear clear chance. Um, I think there was a second one just before half-time. And that that set the tone for the second half. And, and, and uh, I guess you can simply call it a capitulation in terms of how we, we just dropped deeper and deeper. We became less and less positive. Uh, we didn't seem to be able to keep keep possession. We invited pressure onto ourselves, and and you know obviously things um, things unravelled from there. But it, it was kind of a fascinating contrast, actually, to you know if you go back to games like against Leeds at home earlier in the season, where when we get the second goal, we really sort of get our tails up, and there seems to be a certain degree of uh, of in- just confidence flows back into the team. At one nil, we looked so vulnerable. Um, and and as the the half wore on, and Norwich came into the game, it, it set the scene. Unfortunately for just a, just a massively disappointing second half, um, and a, you know we, we can analyse all, all elements of that, but but that second forty five minutes is about as bad as I've seen this this season. I think it became very clear very quickly that you know Norwich made adjustments in the locker room going into the second half, and we did not, and it was very clear, and there, just, there was no answer after Norwich's equaliser, and even down two one it. Wednesday were still playing like they were protecting the one nil lead. We didn't look like we were going to get back into the game at any point, did we? After we went two one down, well, didn't even at one one. Um, you know, I haven't seen the stats in terms of shots created, but I can't think of one clear cut chance in the second half. Um, and you know, we've sat here for the last two weeks praising Addy Newhu and the dramatic impact he's had in the the, the latter third of a game. Well, you know, we brought it, brought on the saver, and the saviour didn't deliver. Uh, it was uh, it was a pretty flat. Flat arrival for a mercurial presence. And Don't yeah, we, be up on Atty. It's not his fault that we're so crap. Okay, do not blame us on Atty. Oh, there's Grumpy Paddy. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was actually there was a nice bit of spell he had on the right wing there, which was, I think, says all you really need to say about the game in some ways. But he's more of a left winger, I find, than a right winger, yeah. Atty. He was he misplaced. It was t- it was Carlos's tactical. I mean, he needs to, uh, he needs to be able to cut in on onto his left foot, though. That's why I think you have to play him on the right. Ah, uh, that's the trick, isn't it? Always play a wrong-footed player. Look, I mean, you know, Norwich in many respects are a team not dissimilar to Wednesday in in what they've been going through this season. You know, the, the, the expectations are there, having come down from the Premiership the year before last. They've brought in a foreign manager who is very tactically astute, at least by pedigree from his background at Dortmund, uh, Daniel Fark. Um, they've very significantly underachieved for the playing staff that they have this season. The fundamental difference is where you, you're describing, Jeff. They came out of the locker room at half time. By the way, we call it a dressing room, but we'll we'll go with locker room, um, although that has slightly negative political connotations. Um, they they came out of the dressing room seriously fired up, and and if you look at the interviews after the game with the players, with the, the kind of the coaching staff at Norwich, they said that they you know they, they basically laid into one another about the performance in the first half as being unacceptable. So it was the worst of the season, and they needed to, to elicit a response. The players came out playing with pace. You know they really took the game to Wednesday. I thought Pritchard was excellent. James Madison was 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 equally you know really really positive. And, and Wednesday didn't have an answer to it. And we certainly didn't have an answer to it in terms of showing the same sort of camaraderie or sense of purpose. Unfortunately, again, we are the the gift of the gods to any failing football team. So uh, any team that are on a bad run and they play us, it's happened over and over again. Uh, and again, we give them the nice little lift up and on your way, Norwich. Now you can make a run to the playoffs because we've given you a nice little confidence boost because we're so goddamn shite. 
just a, a, frustrates me. There was a point in the second half that stood out to me, and I've, I mean, honestly, even about a half hour into this game, watching at home, I was kind of like on my phone, barely paying attention. But there was a moment in the second half, I remember, down 2-1, Liam Palmer's running over to take a throw-in just over the halfway line, and just nobody's moving off the ball. Oh. There's just no, like, sense of urgency in the squad at all. I, I actually, I remember that specific moment, yeah. and I actually, I uh, put my finger on the mouse pad. I was watching on my computer. I put my finger on the toggle pad because I thought it had frozen for a second. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not even joking you. Like, I, I literally was thinking, what is happening on the pitch right now? And, uh, yeah, that, that was, that was miserable. Um, you know, just all around and James, you mentioned it, the lack of effort. It just seems like even when we went up one nil, when you said we started to sit back, well, we sat back, but it it wasn't just sitting back to play defense. It was sitting on or sitting back, standing on our heels. You know, we we just weren't, there was, there was no effort. It was so frustrating. And it's like, I don't know. Like, so here's the problem. Like, I think we can all agree pretty much that Barry Bannon and Gary Hooper did not have particularly good days at the office. And when that happens, yeah. there's just nothing else in the squad right now. Like Bannon and Hooper carry so much of the energy forward for this team that if they're not, you know, if they have an off day, which you know, whatever, it's going to happen. There's 46 games. You know, they're not always going to have their best days you have to be able we've got to no pick one in the slack there's no one that can pick up the slack exactly and dave jones i don't think he had a touch did he in that game it felt like it, it was, yeah he was so anonymous for 90 minutes at least when butterfield's been playing he's kind of got involved and that's what his whole problem is with david jones he's just like a invisible man it just does nothing at all, and it's just oh, it's so frustrating. When like when Bannon's not getting involved, and we can't get our, our foot on the ball and control the game, it's just there's there's no one that can change that that pace, um, and there's there's no one even at knew you can't uh, come on and save the day. It's just uh, very depressing. As you can tell. Well, I think. Sorry, Jeff. I think you know we we could talk about issues all day, but I think the most glaring issue to me was just the the lack of service into the box. Uh, and, and we've seen it throughout the year. Some people have mentioned it uh, through social. I don't know if we talked about it too much on the show, but uh, I think it was really apparent on Saturday how terribly or how terrible our, our crosses were into the box. You know, J- James mentioned that uh, that reach probably didn't mean to send that ball uh, into to Rhodes. But the thing is, we have players that once in the box, if we can just send a nice ball to their feet, to their head, whatever, we can start to register some goals. We can start to put the ball in the back of the net or at least have some better chances and and threaten a little more. But every time we crossed the ball, it was absolutely poor. It was either over the goal, it was out, it was not even in the box. I think there was one cross that came from the right side that ended up... Excuse me. (laughs) I'm choking. (laughs) I'm so sad about this. Um... (laughs) A ball that ended up on the other side of the box didn't even land in the box. Uh, it's just it's been so poor from the wings as well. Um, this is why we're linked to Ben Marshall again, Evan. Yeah. Oh, I liked uh, actually. Victoria tweeted it today. Uh, she she was the first one to, to retweet that I saw um, the post that linked us to him, and she said, um, "Who who had December thirteen? Who, who guessed it'd be December thirteen that someone linked us to Ben Marshall?" So. Um, I, I love the circular reference that is Wednesday choking is making Evan choke. This is uh, yeah. we, 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 we're, we're scraping new new lows, aren't we? And it, I know it's not new lows in terms of league position and quality of football. We know that it's been dreadful in the past, but I, I think just you, to your point, Paddy, when when a team has been yeah, continuously losing at home or, or not, I, don't, I think Norwich are one in eight before that. It's so predictable that we're going to be the team to break that run for them, and. Contrasting to expectations, it just comes back to the same theme we've come back to time and time again. It's just simply not good enough. Um, and 
you know, we we sat with a Norwich fan who, who, as I said, had been kind of going through similar things. But but you know, he was buzzing at the end and being able to kind of talk about the positivity that might come from from that result and the lift it might give that team. And and you could believe him because you could see that in those players when they do get their confidence up, they've got they've got some strength and some spine. They move the ball quickly. The speed of balls into the box is is really progressive. I don't think many of us have got confidence that even if Wednesday get a win back on the board, that that type of flowing football is going to suddenly re-emerge this season. And that that's big. Those are big questions. I mean, you don't even so, tell me more about uh, tell me more about your Saturday though. I think Patty, um, I think he was the one that tweeted about SantaCon. I'm I'm curious about the SantaCon concept. Oh, let's talk about SantaCon, Evan. You poor sheltered man. <laughs> Oh god, do I have to? It's like so. I've got a big problem with amateur drinkers. Full stop. Put that way. So, St. Patrick's Day, the the worst day of the year in New York and probably across America, um, is St. Patrick's Day because it's full of amateur drinkers. The Wednesday you before there, Thanksgiving is a very famous uh, amateur hour around here too. Really? Yeah. Okay. So I, this is something I learned new this year about the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. It's kind of like Boxing Day, I suppose. But yeah. Um, SantaCon in New York is basically a piss-up um, around the city in some terrible bars with hundreds, possibly thousands of people dressed in Santa costumes. All from New Jersey. <laughs> All from New Jersey. So I got into uh, Penn Station at about midday on Saturday, and as I was coming into Penn Station, so was about a hundred other Santas uh, and variously scantily dressed uh, ladies. Uh, and for the first like five minutes, or probably for the new person, the newcomer or tourist to New York, it looks like this is a jolly good fun. Everyone's getting involved in this uh, SantaCon. Fast forward two or three hours, and those Santas are puking in their own hats, and I've got their stockings around their ankles <laughs> pissing in the streets. <laughs> so, My, a friend of mine told me like a story recently as we were discussing it uh, on the internet this week because I mentioned that it was uh, this Saturday, and she. She lives out in Seattle now, but lived in New York for many years. She was in brunch in the West Village at like eleven thirty in the morning, and there's like it's a very like West Villagey brunch place. There's like a gypsy jazz band playing like live music, and there's just these like Santas at the bar at eleven thirty already pissed up, like com- like yelling at the bartender and the gypsy jazz band because they don't have Fireball in the uh, bar. <laughs> well, well, that's a huge issue, by the way. <laughs> I figured that would strike a chord, Evan. I mean, but it does seem I mean, like that we always, even before this year, as Patty mentioned uh, in our WhatsApp group, regardless of whether we're, you know, on TV every week or not, when we are on TV, it's always SantaCon weekend in December. Yeah, funniest one apparently was when we were playing Barnsley at seven thirty in the morning a few years ago. Game too, as I recall. <laughs> I wasn't there because it was sick. The David Jones era, I think. And uh, I was uh, I was very routinely texted by about half past eight what on earth was happening in Football Factory as uh, hundreds of Santas uh, descended down the stairs to Football Factory because it was the first stop at eight a.m. Yeah. on SantaCon. There was only one Barnsley uh, fan. Who like we didn't miraculously didn't see until they got the equalizing goal, as I recall. <laughs> I was and Damien, like, random Barnsley fan behind us. Oh uh, yeah, and Damien, uh, one of the New York Owls, was speaking about it this week on on Facebook, and he, he talks about this this moment of Sanders going down like he's in Vietnam. He's like, "You weren't there, man. You weren't there." So yeah, it's it's, it's harrowing experience, and I hope. Uh, no, none of our own listeners happen to be in New York during SantaCon because it's an absolute shit show. It was a miserable experience down at the football factory this weekend, but Paul, at least one person seemed to have a good time. Yeah, uh, we met the we met the, the the bigger Dave, the biggest Dave. It was the Norwich fan James mentioned. He was quality. He kind of showed up like a little ray of sunshine, didn't he? Just a little yellow shirt amongst all these sea of blue and white and. Uh, I, I kind of like gravitated to him because he was taller than me, and I'm six foot five. So to meet this chap who was, you know, a couple of inches on me uh, at one nil up, of course, which is when he kind of arrived, it was great. Um, you know, we could kind of have a little bit of a bit of a, a dig, bit of banter. But then, obviously, as the score changed, all I would say is that 
I hated having someone on my eye level who was actually beating us. It was very frustrating to see this little ray of sunshine go 3-1 up at the end of the time. But, um, yeah, it was good. Uh, shout out to uh, D- uh, David Nichols, a very brave chap, to come and join all, all us on his own. I think it's the first um, canary we've seen in uh, Football Factory, isn't it, Paddy? No, no. We, two older guys. Yeah, no, there's uh, James as well. James Copeland's a good, good friend I of mine. I always run uh, into the two older guys. Yeah, I mean, their fan base tends to be older. I don't know why. Uh, but James James um, Copeland's a nice guy. He runs Norwich City uh, in New York thing. Uh, he wasn't there, obviously, the weekend. But um, it, it took me a while. You guys were all talking to this big Dave character, and I was so miserable from the match. I didn't even want to shake him by the hand. I was being such a miserable git. And then eventually, you guys were having such fun with him. I was like, okay, I'll come and have a photo taken with him. And I put my you hand look, you out. You looked thrilled in the photo, by the way. I know. Uh, it's like it's like Dave's brought his little Sheffield Wednesday gnome with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was wearing my nice red hat. <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's that was towards the end of the game. I'd walked off uh, in disgust after Ballon gave that penalty away. So I didn't even see the penalties we scored. I just couldn't watch in a second of that crap. Pretty, it was so. a pretty bad tackle. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty bad. So. As our good friend James Marriott is fond of saying, you shouldn't look at the table until Christmas. Well, it's almost Christmas. It's close yeah, enough. Right. James, where do we go from here? Well, I just came from a holiday party. I don't think I can call it a Christmas party for politically correct reasons, but let, let's call it Christmas for, for the sake of argument. Um, we're 15th. We set out to be top two. We are. That makes it, by my estimation, 13 places below where we expect to be. We are 10 points off the playoffs. Uh, we're probably 20 points off the off the automatic positions. It, it, it's just simply not... I'm, I've, I've been saying this now repeatedly for several weeks. It, in blunt and very stark terms, it is not good enough this season. So something has to change, you know. And that is either the manager, which would be the obvious remedy um, at this stage, given where we are in the arc of the Carlos era, the fact that this is the third season and, and you know, really all the experience and all the know-how should be there. Um, that doesn't appear to be the case based on all the messaging that we're getting from from Mr. Jansiri and from the club. Uh, it could be the personnel in the squad that clearly needs some some form of freshening up. I mean, we're crying out for players in several positions, and, and those are pretty well documented in terms of pace on the wings, uh, in terms of more um, experience and and gravitas and, and strength in in the centre of defence. Um, probably a faster moving, uh, uh, aggressive midfielder as well. Um, or, or it's changing in the way in which the club goes about its business. Uh, you know, the way in which it sets up the team, the way in which the players are coached, the way in which the game plans are are, are, are both designed and, and then executed during a game. So I, I don't know which one of those answers we're finally going to settle on, but I, I'm personally sitting very fearful of the Christmas period at the moment because given where we are and given the run of games we have coming up, this, this could get very ugly very quickly if we were to lose two of the next three um, and be going into the new year much, much closer to the bottom three than than anywhere else in the division. Paul, you've been a, a long-time Carlos supporter on the show. You were almost singing three or four weeks ago. How about yeah. now? Well, so I, I, I've kind of jumped the fence now. I'm definitely uh, Carlos out. I think, uh, you know, we, we, I think we were all... We're all in that camp now, more or less. But um, I, I'm drawing a parallel here. To my personal life, you know, I'm divorced. I'm divorced, right? And there's a moment during a divorce where you move away from the one you love, and um, you, know, you realise that it's not to be, and you get angry, you get down, you're upset. And I think we've been through that, and we're kind of asking why. But on the other side of that, there's this moment where you kind of feel like, okay, you know, it's over. I'm going to move on. And I just wanted to like echo Gary Robinson, who tweeted earlier. He said. Let's just fuck all this off. Let's just get down, to, get down to Hillsborough. Let's just sing. Let's sing. Let's sing and support. And let's just kind of come up as fans. Let's prove that it's not us. So I'm kind of a bit like that now. I'm like, yeah, it's not going to happen. Chancery is probably not going to make a move. I'm just going to be a Wednesday fan and do what I can and support my team. And uh, you know, hopefully it'll write itself. I, because I can't worry about it anymore. I just can't. I'm so down. I like that actually, Paul, because I I, I kind of feel the same way. I. I believe that we should make a change, but I, I know where I sit. Obviously, I sit in Ohio with absolutely zero say in club matters. So um, I, I'm happy to support. I'm going to watch every match. 
uh, I'm going to get excited before every match and think this is where we turn around. Um, and if someone asks my opinion, I'll say, yeah, I think I think we need a change. I'd like to see the change before January and give a, a new guy you know, a, a transfer window as well as see what he can do with, with Hutchison and, and Boyd and, and maybe Fezzi coming back. And so um, I, I'd like to see that happen. But if it doesn't, nothing's going to change for me. I'm still going to support. And uh, I don't hate Carlos by any means. I'm very pleased with, with what he's done for us. And, and if he sticks around, then you know, so be it. But uh, I like that, that take a lot, Paul. I mean, there really isn't anything we can do. This isn't. Hey, we yeah, got you're, you're right. There's no supporters trust. <laughs> There's no pressure we can put on. Well, it sounds it sounds so elementary. Yeah, it sounds so elementary. It's so obvious to to us. But if you, I mean, take a look at just just spend five minutes on the internet with the the SWFC <laughs> well, yeah, the hashtag. Yeah, yeah, sure. it, there, people people believe they are chancery. They are the the people making the decisions. It's it's so silly. Um, and, and I understand why people are, are irritated and upset. I mean, it is uh, like it is typical. It is typical Wednesday that like the first year we can finally watch all the games. The team is absolute shit. <laughs> I know, I know. In fact, when when I was talking to Patty about launching Owls Americas, I said, "Hey, Patty, you know, I I think this will be a great idea because you know now's the time. You know, the, the team's going to be so exciting this year. There's going to be so much um, for for people to uh, be attracted to and and really want to." get behind this club and, and unfortunately um it's, it's been difficult do you like balls being passed backwards this is the club for you <laughs> oh gosh there is some wednesday news this week uh our aforementioned gaffer carlos carvial be serving a one match band for the incident in the hall when he got sent to the stands complaining about the uh non-handball call yeah all right I've got like a, a, a final bit of Carlos news from mm. that um, last game. Mm. Did anyone see his scarf? Mm. Yes. It was a, yep. It was beautiful. Mm. It was it was like uh, it was a grey scarf with flowers on it. It was very effeminate. I'm gonna say that. Um, yeah. It kind of like my grand's tea towel. It was a bit strange for a scarf. It was just kind of wrapped around his neck, but it looked like he should be kind of washing his dishes with it. It's, I suppose my own observation that was positive from this uh, weekend's uh, game, so, so nice I'll throw that in yeah. there. He had some quality um, uh, Mega Store gloves on, though, didn't he? I wonder if you can buy a scarf at the Mega Store. And maybe it's a, maybe it's a hat. It's like a hat. well, he wouldn't own a hat on, would he? Because he's got his new hair. Maybe it's a, a scarf and gloves set. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, allegedly. Maybe it's a new set. I'd buy it. It's a bit girly, but I'd buy it. Yeah, so that that one match ban, I think, is is kind of ironic, isn't it? That people want him gone so badly, and now you know, there's going to be a match where he's not in charge. Can you imagine what's going to happen if you know Bowen takes you know takes over the team for the week, and all of a sudden we go out and we win five one? Wolves too, which is top of the table. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's kind of an interesting uh, interesting time for for Carlos to to sit for a match. And uh, it's been 27 years, we'll end on a positive note, since the goal of the year, John Hart's goal at Derby, which I've seen in my Twitter feed basically every day for the last five days, which I'm very happy about, because I will watch that goal anytime you want to uh, put it in any of my social media feeds, essentially. I mean, it's I can you remember every single year, every single year this gets posted around, because we're so happy goal. with it. It's a great goal. It's 27 years. It's not yeah, even a massive year. kind of anniversary. It's no, just a random just year. <laughs> I don't think we need a, a, any particular year to celebrate that. It's it's still one of the best goals I can remember a Wednesday player scoring. Um, and I, it, it was one of those things that I remember as, as a really small boy, right? Great hair. <laughs> Everything about it is just absolutely like dripping in 1990s like the, football. Yeah, the old school nets, the ball just like sticks in the top of the net. 
and it's the fact that it's, it's at the old baseball ground as well, so he's basically taking the shot off a divot that probably yeah. was created during a uh, you know a Derby Leeds match in the seventies. It's just stunning, and it it kind of reminds you of, of, of a time on Wednesday we were on the Europe. Obviously, you know the, the Hawks relationship is huge for for fans here in the Americas because you know he was one of the first American players to make a really big splash in English football, and and that was his splash. That was when he really came kind of came to the national attention over in uh, in the UK. Um, and we even made a little song up about him when it uh, when we got to Wembley later in that cup run. So, yeah, I think I was like, I don't know, I was probably like ten. No, it wasn't even that. It was nineteen ninety one, right? So I was I was probably nine years old. Um, probably heard it on Radio Sheffield, and then then got to see it back on uh, on Goals on Sunday on Yorkshire TV on uh, I don't know, the uh, the following week. There was no such thing as internet uh, YouTube replays back then. But I'm so I'm happy to watch that as many times it, as it can it appear in like, my social feeds. It's like almost timeless like if somebody made that exact same shot today it would just be a you know all-time goal and and you know why because it it literally it never stops rising (laughs) you know i i know a lot of people talk about this thing about you know the perfect goal is the goal where the ball is still rising when it hits the back of the net that's the shot that if it had gone through the net through the back of the stand carried on over the uh, the cluster that is derby it, it would have just carried on on a straight line trajectory forever it was unbelievable. It was picking up speed when it hit the stanchion. Unbelievable finish. There's a great idea in there, isn't there? For um, uh, 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 <laughs> You can tell I've been getting advent calendars for the kids, but I'd like an app where uh, it's like an annual Wednesday goal advent calendar. So every day when I wake up, I get the goals that were scored in history on this day. And I get that every single day. How cool would that be? Jeff, Jeff, you're going to have to cut that out of the podcast so that we can take that idea so no one else hears it and we can yeah. uh, make a killing off it. Yeah. It's a great idea. I agree, Evan. We, we say nothing about this right now. I don't want anybody to disclose this idea because that is an absolute killer for about 25,000 really depressed people in Sheffield right now. <laughs> right. Right. How cool would it be, though? So cool. So cool. Let's Amazing. do it. Yeah. On that note, we'll uh, take a break. we come back. We will put a bird on it once again. With our Portlandia slash Portland Owl. We're joined once again by Mike Laroon. And Mike, I've already asked you how you became a Wednesdayite. So now I'm going to ask you how the former Sheffield Wednesday Academy manager ended up at your meetup this weekend. Well, uh, I feel in some part like I'm the last one to know, so I will let you fill that in a, in a moment. But just a little bit of context, uh, you know, Sean McCauley has always been on our radar as, uh, you know, being in town, um, having these ties to Wednesday and being assistant coach at the uh, assistant manager with the Timbers. So we always assumed we would, at some point, we had planned to reach out to him. We, but we were overthought how we were going to time that. We thought, well, we'll catch him sometime after the playoffs, whenever that happens, but before they start meeting again for for combine information so we thought we were going to just send a really polite letter to the front office and i was minding my own business um friday afternoon trying to figure out who was actually going to show up at the toffee club and i started getting messages and i will let i guess james take over from there and tell me what you know uh it's, it's not a particularly more complicated story than that actually mike in that about uh 15 seconds before I started sending you a bunch of messages on Twitter, we got a uh, we got a very polite and very lovely email from uh, from Sean in the Owls America's inbox. Um, so it turned out that Sean's been on our mailing list for a little while, and none of us had realised. So we've been pumping out weekly uh, weekly updates to uh, to the Wednesday Glitterati, and um, I guess kind of with uh, with a little bit of time on the off season, Sean um, just got in touch to to ask if he could uh, if he could join the meetup on Saturday at the Toffee Club with yourselves. Um, and he also uh, very generously said that he might have one or two things he wanted to bring down with him, and who could he get in touch with? So it was a very easy introduction to you, um, and I'll let you pick up the story from there into terms of the uh, probably the, the biggest highlight of uh, of Saturday for Wednesday nights globally, let alone uh, those of you in Portland. Yeah, so um, yeah, so we got down there. It was a uh, I think a nine thirty local kickoff. Uh, we actually got there a little for the. I guess when I walked in there, all the the Tottenham fans were standing up watching. Uh, what's his name? Benteke missed. Uh, Benteke was missing PKs for Palace, but. Um, 
Yeah, so uh, we, we set up our shop in the corner. A few of us started to arrive. I think Sean and his family arrived uh, about 9.20 uh, or so. Uh, could not have been a nicer, more genuine person. I think I put a, a sappy post on Facebook just saying what a great ambassador he was for, for Wednesday. And he, he truly was. He brought us this uh, amazing kit, which uh, I think it's probably a 2005 kit. It's up on it's up on the Facebook site if people want to look at it and help annotate the autographs. That would be helpful as well. Uh, yeah, could not have been a nicer guy and um, took time to mingle with everyone. Uh, again, there's uh, you know three other games going on, lots of uh, other uh, fans around and who na- naturally recognized him as the assistant manager for the uh, Timbers uh, and which the Timbers happen to have a vacancy right now at head coach or had one at we depending on when this podcast goes out and uh, but yeah people were, were asking him questions about that and he was very professional about that people were asking him questions about current Wednesday team very professional with his answers there so just could not have been a nicer guy some people are saying this was a big media stunt, like for uh, for the uh, shouting for the Timbers manager's role. So clearly, he's doing a lot of uh, good PR, speaking to the Wednesday fans, getting out in the community. That's uh, making, making they, we, we have we pull so much rank in this town. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you were, you were kind enough to get us an actual ten minute interview at halftime with the man himself. So. Uh, First of all, thanks so much. I, I mean, I was quite um, skeptical we'd be able to get a good recording in a bar, and obviously um, you, yourself volunteered for it. I was like, great, good stuff, Mike. Uh, and it turned back pretty fantastic. And Sean was, like I say, very um, forthcoming with answers, gave lots of great insights, a couple of good so, stories. I do have an ounce, an ounce of backstory, and that is that we actually politely asked the folks that were watching Newcastle, who were they, Lester? believe uh they were they actually had the, the clubhouse room which is that great immersion room of the coffee house and we actually politely asked them if they could mute the sound and they were welcome to, to witness and, and sit in and listen in on the conversation so that's 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 where the quality of this came from and despite <laughs> they're very, they're quite quiet. Uh, and despite what uh despite the sounds this is actually an outdated iphone using the uh, voice memos um out of the box application well, big we're going to be adopting the same technology for the pod in the future because it's going to yeah. sound a whole lot better than what we manage over Skype. Cool. So uh, let's uh, play the interview. Hi, this is Mike Laroon on behalf of the Owls Americast, and I'm very, very excited to have Sean McCauley with us. Uh, as full disclosure and context, it is 10.30 in the morning in Portland, Oregon. It is halftime of the Inard City game, and uh, Wednesday are winning one nothing. so we're very happy to be that. So, um, Sean, welcome. Uh, as most of you know, Sean has uh, spent about 10 years with the Wednesday Academy. Yeah, it was seven, but I did a few um, while I was uh, still playing. Uh, coaching the school right. school kids, so yes, yeah. probably ten overall. And served at least twice as caretaker manager. Yeah, two twice. two different stints. Yeah, and he's been with the uh, Portland Timbers as an assistant manager for five years. So he joined the Portland Timbers the year after they joined MLS. Yeah, until two thousand and twelve. Right. So um, we're very thrilled. Uh, we'll we'll get back to how you landed here today later, but uh, we we are curious. So how closely are you able to follow Wednesday these days as a fan? Yeah, I mean, I get everybody, what everybody else gets on the internet and, and obviously through certain news feeds. Uh, but I'm delighted to be with uh, some Sheffield Wednesday supporters watching the game. Uh, and once I found out that there was a supporters club in the city where I, where I live, then it's a no-brainer to come down and eat some good English food. Uh, maybe if it was a bit later, drink some good drinks. Uh, and then... Uh, Hopefully, watch the team win. Uh, from what I can tell, the the time of day is not stopping others in the room from <laughs> drinking, so we'll leave it at that. So, um, are you uh, formally or informally still in touch with the club? Uh, I will speak to, to people at the club if if we need to to have any information on players. I, you know, I, I keep quite close to obviously Lee Bullen, who's who's uh, the assistant manager there, uh, who was a player when I was there, and and uh, he got into coaching as just as I was leaving. Um, we got him into the academy to do a bit of coaching while he was still playing to get him through his coaching licences. So me and Lee have, have kept a close relationship. And if there's any players that you know he's interested in that we might have played against, played with, or from this part of the world, then he'll give me a call. And, and likewise, I'll use him as a resource um, for anything we want over in the UK. Great. 
So let's. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the coaching network because, I, as I mentioned to you earlier today, I remember at the end of the uh, Timbers Rapids game, I saw that you uh, you ran over and you were chatting it up with Steve Cook for a little bit. So, um, what, what's the network like here amongst uh, former Sheffielders or former uh, folks from the English Pyramid who are coaching here in the states? Yeah, there's there's quite a few that that you wouldn't probably spring to mind as you know the the big names. You've got Steve Cook, you've got James O'Connor who's doing a fantastic job at at Louisville. Um, you know, and he's really transformed that place, and he's doing doing great things over there. There's another guy actually from who's at New York City FC, uh, who worked at um, both Sheffield clubs, I think, and went to Man City, and he's uh, one of the assistants for Patrick Vieira, uh, Christian Wilson, uh, and he's a massive Sheffield Wednesday fan as well. So the network's quite close, and then also we've got a couple of other other English guys who are in the game over here as well. Most notably, probably Adrian Eath who spent right. some time at, at our rivals so right. but he's a great guy as well okay so that's I mean that's interesting so how often do you so aside from when they're in town for games you guys interact uh, on the road or yeah I mean we'll we'll um, we'll see each other when we're on the road um, but also we'll spend some time together for a week maybe 10 days uh, when we're going to the MLS combine where we'll watch all the college players sure trying to get a career into MLS and then we'll go to the draft uh, and generally whenever I bump into them uh, Sheffield Wednesday uh, people, we we generally enjoy a drink or a, at least a good chat on how the club's doing. Okay, so you mentioned the rival, and we're not going to say it out loud. But you, something I didn't know, which you and I chatted about earlier, because uh, we saw his picture on a program, was uh, your friendship with Chris Wilder. Yeah, me so. and Chris, uh, we go back quite a few years. Uh, I spent a ta- bit of time with him when he was a player at Rotherham, and I went and had a, a short spell there, um, and then um, from that. Obviously, we've, we've both lived in the city while we were playing for other teams. So I went and played for a couple of the teams. But Sheffield being so central, you can commute to just about every other professional football club. Okay. Uh, and Chris did the same. Um, and then I was playing here in Portland for the Timbers in 2002. And he got a job at Halifax Town as manager. And he was the one that that drew me back from Portland to, to move back to the UK. Uh, and I was assistant manager with Chris for three years. Okay. Uh, and he's doing great things at Sheffield United. And you've sent him plenty of well wishes this year, I'm sure. Of course, yeah, yes. probably just the weekends where they're <laughs> 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 a little bit more uh, closer to what to, to what home is. So did you get up at 4.45 to watch the derby? Uh, I didn't, no, okay. I didn't. Um, uh, you know, I, I missed that game. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a shame for us on the West Coast here because... You know, I look at you know the the supporters groups. Obviously, you've got yourselves, and then I look at the New York one. I'm thinking, well, they're meeting it just at the right time around twelve o'clock midday. You can have a great time <laughs> once you've watched the game. Stay on, and who knows? It's like the old-fashioned days in the UK, which you'll know about <laughs> when you meet on a Sunday at twelve o'clock, and you, <laughs> you don't get back until twelve o'clock. <laughs> on that note, I will introduce Ricky, uh, who's another member of our, of our supporters group. This is Ricky License from Rotherham. <laughs> Good morning all um, What I'd like to ask Sean is Just thinking back at his time at Hillsborough What's the best memory that you've got From your time at the club The um, I mean when I, all, all, Every time a young player Made a, a first team debut That was fantastic for us Because we, we did a lot of work in the academy That you know sometimes goes a little bit unnoticed But when you know Mark Beavers uh, Tommy Spur, Liam Palmer, who's playing today, when they go and make debuts, Richard O'Donnell, the goalkeepers, we've had quite a few go through. That was fantastic. But when I took the first team, winning games for the first team, there is no better feeling. Um, and that first spell when we won three games was unbelievable. But then I would look at the game during that spell, we played away from home, we played Wolves, and the amount of Sheffield Wednesday fans that were at, at Molyneux on that day was unbelievable. And I think we were, we were down in the game, we came back. Um, and to see the reaction of the supporters during our scoring our goals to be in that game, and then at the end of the game, to keep the like little mini run that we were going on uh, was was unreal. And then the second time when I was in charge, we played Newcastle on Boxing Day, uh, and a packed house at Hillsborough on Boxing Day against Newcastle, who had just come down from the Premier League, uh, was was pretty special for me personally, being from Sheffield, and I've seen them games that have happened on Boxing Day before when there's no roof on the cop, when it's all standing up, when the Newcastle fans all come down in minivans and jump out uh, Penniston Road and go in and, and to then witness that and be the, the manager in charge of the team to, to get a result, uh, that was pretty special as well and I thought we should have won that game. Follow up? Or... <clears throat> now I'll follow that up with uh, 
funniest story that you've got? Funniest story that you can think of at your time? Um, funny story is probably a, a real funny story was um, when I was manager of the academy, we were always, always behind um, everybody else in the country, you know, because the club was was putting investment and quite rightly into back into the first team because we needed to get back into the Premier League. So what happened was uh, during the the uh, the years of trying to retain academy status, the FA, the Football League, the Premier League all came to look at our facilities and they weren't up to, to standard. So at the time we had an idea because of the ownership and everything else that we would play some games at Orleton Stadium. And basically we were trying to convince the Premier League and the, the Football League, the FA, PFA, that it was good for player development because our under-9s were going to come and play in the stadium and it'd be fantastic. Even though it had a dog track around it, we were sort of saying to them and convincing them that, well, Wembley Stadium was once used for dogs, so it's going to be good. It's, nice. We're going to be the best in the, in, in the country at youth development because we're going to use, use a dog track. So they were trying to buy into it and they were saying, well, where are your goals? And we were saying, oh, we're going to buy some goals. And they said, where's your pitch going to be? Well, it's going to be in the middle. Um, well is it going to fit and well we'll make it fit and we're trying to convince these people that we were going to re- a really good programme but we had no money and we had no facilities and we had no resources but we thought we'd cracked it but as we were walking off um, obviously we're all in a suits because we knew we were meeting the high end people at the Premier League and the Football League and unfortunately for us one of the guys in the Premier League stood in a bit of dog, dog crap <laughs> uh, which <laughs> Which then we thought we'd nailed it, we'd got this fourth field that we needed to run our academy programme and just as he stepped into his car, it was a pretty cold day and winter day and I st- said to the, uh, the other guy from the academy, was from the ad, I'm not sure if this is going to go on and he went, why? I went, well it's that cold, you immediately put your heating on in your car once the heating gets on and then you get that on the bottom of his foot, we've got no chance and, and likewise we, um, we, we didn't um, uh, end up getting to use that field um, but we managed to still retain academy status and, and I know that now through the new ownership and the new people that are taking and running the academy they're doing a fantastic job and really moving it forward and I, and I do think eventually like when the club gets into the Premier League the academy will be up at the same standards as well Great Okay, on, on that note we I know we have a game to get back to so um, I do want to thank you Sean for attending Thank you for bringing your family in today that was a, a treat to meet them and uh, I hope you will make this a We'll, we'll continue to invite you. Yeah, we I'm sure to be back. To be honest, we were a bit nervous that you would be scared that, that there was the Wednesday supporters group in Portland, but we're, we're thrilled that you sought us out, and yeah. um, we'll be in touch. Thank you very much. I've been told we specifically can't have dispatches from American soccer this week because of the MLS Cup final results. So instead, we'll just move on to our preview for this Friday's game against the Wolverhampton Wanderers. So for the cultural apocalypse that is Wolverhampton, I will turn it over to our British sociological expert, James Allen. And after last week's kind of tour of Norwich, which actually turned out quite funny and, and kind of pleasant, we're, we're plunged back into the, the the cultural devastation that is uh, the West Midlands uh, and, and pretty much any town that seems to host a championship club in uh, in England, unfortunately. Wolverhampton, um, otherwise known as a suburb of Birmingham, uh, so we're back in uh, we're back in Britain's second city. Uh, which is basically a sprawling mass of, of urbanisation with no particular purpose, which takes up pretty much the space between the north and south of England. Um, anybody from Wolverhampton will point out very vociferously that they're not from Birmingham, they're actually from the black country, uh, which isn't really a thing in, in in real terms. It's just, like I said, an extension of, uh, of the conurbation that is Birmingham. My mother's from the black country. She comes from down the road in Albury, which is just around the corner from Wolverhampton, and it was a dour, depressive soot-filled place uh, the last time I was there about a year and a half ago. Um, so Wolverhampton itself is uh, apparently named after Wolfram, uh, who founded the town in 19... Uh, not 1985, in... Uh, gosh, that would be really, uh, relatively recent. In 985. Uh, so it's uh, it's got very deep-rooted roots. Um, and in the subsequent 1,000 and some odd years, they haven't done very much. So I've got, I've got three people on my corridor at work who are uh, 
uh, English soccer fans. One's a Manchester United fan, so he's immediately disqualified. And the other person is a Wolves fan. Uh, so I went to talk to her and ask her, what's the, uh, what's the, what's the best thing and the worst thing about Wolves? Um, so she said the best thing about Wolverhampton is that you can get a cracking curry, uh, which is uh, it's pretty true of most British towns, but I'll give them that. Apparently it's a Wolves Balti, so if you find yourself in Wolverhampton, go and get a Balti. Uh, she said, worst thing, well, pretty much everything is crap. Uh, the city centre's basically closed down. Uh, it looks sad and grey. Um, the shopping centre, which is called the Manda Centre, is awful. Only pound shops, uh, Primark, and uh, I guess a redeeming feature, they've got a Greg's. And, uh, and a lot of people loan shops with uh, with 1,200% APR as a as an attractive consumer offer. Um, <laughs> and then she uh, she fished it up by saying just one word, miserable. Um, and she sent me a picture, and I'll uh, I'll put that on the social feeds later on. It is chuffy miserable. Um, so I was I was kind of a bit depressed by that. So I went to another friend of mine who works in the city centre in Wolverhampton. He commutes from uh, from Birmingham. He said basically when you get out of the train station, it looks like a war zone. It feels like a war zone. Um, you get out of it, you feel yourself like you've escaped from a war zone. So I haven't got I mean, anything go to say about this goddamn place. I'm sorry. Is the wolves curry made out of wolves? That's an interesting question. I haven't been able to find any connection as to why they call themselves wolves, except for the fact that wolf is in the name of the town. I mean, the only I mean, thing I know about Wolverhampton right? is that Wolverhampton has probably birthed the most famous of all Wednesday fans. Steve Bull. Tango. Tango is from Wolverhampton. Well, he saw sense. He got out and he found a team in a much more uh, salubrious part of the country, right? I mean, uh, the other thing to say about Wolves is, and, and I'm afraid this afflicts our poor friend Tango, that they sound uh, they sound like sort of slightly skewiff Brummies. So it's a really weird derivation of the Brummie accent, which makes it almost impenetrable and, uh, yeah. and very unpleasant to listen to. So the funny thing is I'm pretty comfortable with British accents at this point. Obviously, I've listened to the Wednesday week for many years, so it's especially especially comfortable with the uh, Yorkshire accent. When they had Tango on, I, I like said, I, I can handle Beastie, but I can't understand a word this person is saying. I got abused by Tango once for my curly hair. That's my claim Ooh. to fame. Just call me, I think it was like referencing some guy off the X Factor. I've got very big curly hair usually. And uh, across the road from, uh, I think it was at Colchester away, it was a miserable day. Uh, I was on the way back to the train station, and I had Tango shout abuse at me, wearing long curly hair. I just think so, he was uh, like Alan Davies. So, well, he might have thrown that into the abuse as well. I mean, that's quite common. But it was a very obscure X Factor person I've never heard of before that he was basically saying I look like. Um, so, cheers, Tango, for that. Appreciate it. <laughs> so, after last week's exploits by Paul and Norfolk Broads, we we did ask the question of all of our podcast brethren as to who had a funny story from Wolves, and that's the best we could come up with. That someone abused Paddy for having curly hair. There's not very <laughs> not not much funny about wolves, is there? Not anyone. Tango, the yeah, actual Tango, man yes. from wolves that we all know. It's good enough. I was, it's um, not, it's I was quite on Paul's scale. No, I don't want to. I don't talk about swans this week. But I did. I did read that um, um, Wolverhampton is the fifth worst city on the planet. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what the worst is? I mean, there's literally, there's literally wars going on all over the right world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but uh, this I mean, so James, number one. Is, as James <laughs> said, this, it does look like a war zone. I guess when you're getting off the uh, train. Well, let's put some uh, some context here. Yeah, that yeah. Um, fourth is Los Angeles. Yeah, fair um, enough. Third is Seoul in South Korea. Second is Accra in Ghana, and the worst city in the world voted this year. Detroit, Michigan, mainly because it's not really a city anymore because it's fallen apart. Nice. That's only two hours away from me. Oh, you should go visit. Uh, I'm, willing to, I'm willing to wager there's four times here. more culture in those four cities than there is in Wolverhampton for starters. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but the funny thing, of course, is uh, wolves are top of the table. And isn't it depressing that they are? Yeah. I mean, because if, if you just profile them for a second, they're a team that's been on the uppers for a few years. I mean, as recent as last season, I think Wednesday, well, we put them to the sword two years ago. I think we beat them 4-1 at home uh, as Fessy was really coming into form. Last season, we, we dispatched them away and that was a, that was a great performance. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they, they came into this season, you know, in, in six and sevens, but they had they had a big money splash investor. Uh, they recruited a uh, an illustrious Portuguese manager, and they uh, they brought in this cavalcade of players. And guess what? It's worked. This all sounds very familiar. Yeah, except yeah, for the results. Don't, right? for, don't forget also they've been doing this for the last couple of years before as well. So this is not like an instant success they've had. They've, they've been throwing money at this for about a good three years now. Even back um, when they were so, in League One, they were 
splashing the pot. Yeah, so the the thought of money it hasn't worked for the first few years. So they kind of doing the they kind of doing an opposite of us. So whereas we thought when we were lucky in the first two years, maybe they're they're finally getting it right in, in the third or fourth year of investment. So it's it's been a long time coming for the fans that have been uh, waiting for this money to kind of actually land and get a plan in place. But it looks like it's finally come together now with the uh, players they've signed. The, the players and and I think you know the manager as well. Um, you know, obviously comes from I don't want to say. Similar stock to Carlos in terms of Portuguese coaching logic. I mean, that's just basically a little bit naive to suggest that people who come from the same country have the same approach. He, he arguably is more storied in, in what he did at um, at Porto. Um, the the quality of players they brought in, um, I think, is 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 pretty impressive. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're, you're right, Paddy. They've been building for some time, and then the the investment kind of seemed to go awry a little bit last season um, when they had Walter Zenger in charge. They beat Newcastle, and the whole thing fell apart. But but Nuno Gomes uh, seems to be the the real deal, um, and they've been they've been as efficient and ruthless this season as we we hoped and wished Wednesday were going to be. Um, when they've wobbled, when they've lost the old game, they've come back and they've won three, four on the trot after that, and they're they're rightfully at the top of the table and and definitely the the by some margin the form side and the the most consistently um, successful side in the division. So it's going to be a really really hard game uh, on uh, on Friday evening for Wednesday. On that upbeat note, do we have any other business? Yeah, we do. Do we've we? got we've got some merch. Yes, we've got some really cool yeah. merch. Oh, sorry, right. I was on, I was on mute and then <laughs> realised that. Do do we want to do that again then? Given the uh, alien, yeah. completely yeah, depressive right. tone that that finished on, and then the the gap that followed. I was talking and Paddy said, "Yeah, we do." Cut me up. I was like, "Oh shit, am I, have I said it wrong already?" <laughs> I, thought you, I thought I thought you were literally cutting me off. You're gonna be quiet. Ask that again, Jeff. Hmm. On that depressing note, do we have any other business? Yeah, I could uh, I could jump in and um, uh, talk about uh, a bit of merch that we've been developing here. Um, some people may have seen a few weeks back where we were we were kind of riffing off of some old images um, from our our, our uh, more glorious history, and um, there was a shot if if you've seen it of uh, Princess Margaret, kind of over the shoulder of uh, the players back in in 1966 at Wembley and uh, there's this amazing owls jacket and I think we'd kind of talked about it a while ago and then it popped up again in conversation and you know I think everyone generally likes that thing and we've kind of riffed on that with a an owls um owls America's owls logo as a kind of a a build on it and um so since then we've kind of taken it a little step further and we've actually um produced and developed um a prototype for this and we're looking to roll that out um so we might tease tease an image of it uh, on the socials a little bit later, um, you know, and uh, just to gauge some interest. Because if if you, if you like it, if you're interested, let us know, and um, we can kind of set that up a little bit more and uh, try and roll those out into the new year. I'm very excited. Yeah, I guess the ge- the general idea is that um, in times of trouble and hardship, such as now, when we've got to uh, we've got to deal with wolves and and everybody's bloody depressed, why don't we look back to the good old days? If we can't recreate the John Arts goal, we can definitely recreate an absolutely blinding piece of uh, track merchandise from the 1966 Cup final. So watch Paul's uh, Twitter feed and the OA Twitter feed very carefully here. Where we blew a lead to Everton. <laughs> oh, don't talk about the result, Jeff. That was just typically Wednesday, right? We were 2 0 up and things didn't quite work out as we expected them to. Yeah, we're not so good at Wembley, Jeff. You should know that by now. Exactly, but we, 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 we carved out a really, really nice drill top, so, uh, so we'll work with that. I've got to admit to a mea culpa as well, by the way, in, in other news. I uh, I just uh, erroneously referred to the Wolves boss as Nuno Gomez. Of course, that was the uh, the long-haired and uh, not particularly illustrious Blackburn striker of uh, of the early 2000s. Um, I meant Nuno Espirito, Espirito Santo. Um, so apologies to the uh, the people of Wolves and their, uh, their Portuguese management. I feel like no one Wait, is actually going to write in to correct you on that, but... I, you know, a professional apologizes on air, right? Yeah. Is, it, mean, wait, is it wildly you, you appropriate the that uh, the... So as we know, as we discussed last week, the Carlisle United Gillingham winner was going to play Wednesday in the in the third round of the FA Cup and that their uh, replay got postponed on Tuesday. 
So we're still unaware as to which yeah, British football league ground you're going to be attending, Jeff? No, we don't, yeah. Have you, have you d- developed a preference yet? I feel like, <laughs> so I, like, in, intuitively, I have no actual evidence for this. I feel like I like the Carlisle kits better. Like, the Carlisle home kit, I think, is a better kit. I'm now, like, the furiously... Suspense is killing me. I'm furiously looking this up on the internet. How do you know what the Carlisle kit looks like? I just feel like I have a memory of it being a, a nice looking kit. You're just a uh, just blue and kit red. expert. Yeah, it's like blue and blue and red or something. It's blue. Blue. Hang on, I'm I'm scrolling through the Wikipedia page right now. Yeah. I've yeah, just got this abiding memory of nice. Carlisle playing in a, in a blue, blue kit with red. an Eddie Stobart sponsor blue on it. Red right? ish. This is thrilling audio podcast, yeah, yeah, by the way. <laughs> let's let's move on. Yeah, Jeez. Right. Yeah, let's move on. Googling in the middle of a podcast. Hey guys, g- give me give me one second here. I need to look something up. I, I, in my head, so I I think I just actually Jeff confused. is live podcasting his Google search. Carlisle <laughs> fucking United football kit. It's beautiful. It's been a slow week, guys. I think I probably confused the Carlisle kit with what's like the green and white low level kit. What we are getting now, though, is Jeff's amazing mouse action, which which basically encourages him to bang it on the table till it moves around. (laughs) Steampunk mouse. (laughs) Which is usually what we're only treated to before the podcast starts, but now we're getting a live recording of Jeff's uh, beating his uh, mouse around. Slam it on the uh, podcast unless you're (laughs) annoying me, Patty. I don't (laughs) think we're slamming anything on the table at this point Uh, of the evening. So we'll go into the housekeeping. This is the Owls Americast, Sheffield Wednesday Opinion with an American Accent. You can visit us on the internet at owlsamericas.com. Email us at owlsamericas at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at owlsamericas. Our podcast intro and bumpers are by fellow Wednesdayites, Reverend and the Makers. Podcast is on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbeam, and probably anywhere else you choose to download podcasts. There's no wrong way to listen to the show. Just do what feels right wherever you choose to consume the Owls Americast. We ask that you rate and review the show. It helps more Wednesdayites find our ramblings. And speaking of ramblings, you can leave the show a voicemail on our dazed and mumbled line at 1401-307-1867. International rates do apply, but you can dial it for free using Google Voice. James is on Twitter at Manhattan Owl. James, what do you... uh? recommend for the culture seeker looking for something to do before the Wolverhampton game this Friday um uh, that's a very simple answer I'd, I'd suggest that they join me in the Wednesday tap at Hillsborough on Friday evening mm-hmm. I'm getting on a plane tomorrow night I'm heading to, yes, you're, uh, you've to the... a long uh, series of Wednesday tap engagements it sounds like <laughs> I do for the, for the next three weeks. I'm I'm going to be an American owl in England, so I'm getting on I'm getting on the plane tomorrow. I'm heading to to England, uh, land in London on Friday morning, and then I'm getting straight on the M1. I'll be following the beautiful signs. For anyone anyone who's done this journey, you'll know this feeling. You get on the M1, you drive up, and you see the sign that just simply says the North. And I will uh, I will follow that sign all the way back to Sheffield. Um, I will uh, I'll unpack a couple of bags, and then I'll be heading to Hillsborough. I'll be in the tap, hopefully. Um, by early evening, so uh, so if you happen to be uh, down there and having a drink before the Wolves game, um, come and say hello. Uh, we'll try and find a way to identify me. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's probably easily the most culturally apposite uh, suggestion I can make before the Wolves game because I can't guarantee that anything once kickoff starts is uh, is going to be better than a, a beer beforehand in the cold at Hillsborough. Paul is on Twitter at the o Wednesday. Paul. Do you have any advice for people heading to the Wednesday Wolves game this weekend? Yeah, I do. I wish you could all have uh, what I have in my hand. A great two-hearted ale from Bell's Brewery to help you sing your heart out. Just go sing. Go support your club. It's over. Be divorced. Just sing. (laughs) Evan is on Twitter, at Ohio Owl. Evan, please defend Detroit, Michigan for our American listeners. I will say that Detroit has actually gotten a lot better the last couple of years. They're starting to inject some more 
money into that economy and they're starting to turn around. But I can understand that, you know, once Detroit went bankrupt, it literally became Box City USA, you know, windows boarded up and such. But uh, definitely on the up and up and, and maybe actually we'll have an MLS team soon. Patty is on Twitter at Patty A. Jones for talking about musical acts that wear skinny jeans and at New York Owls for general Wednesday grousing. Patty, where are the meetups on Friday afternoon for this aforementioned Wolves game? Uh, so we have a meetup in Portland. Uh, Mike, you heard earlier on, we'll be hosting that at the Toffee Club. That's the 11.30 local time kickoff. Um, we have a meetup in New Orleans at uh, Finn McCool's. That's the one thirty local time kickoff, and we have the New York Owls Christmas drinks, two thirty. Oh, it's two forty-five, isn't it? It's seven forty-five kickoff, so it's seven forty-five. It's two forty-five in New York, um, and we will be out drinking around New York, hopefully with less Santas than on Saturday. I heard rumors of uh, beer pong in Koreatown. Uh, yes, beer pong or pool in some random Koreatown bar. I'm very cranky. I can't get this Friday off. By the way. We're all cranky, too. I'm on Twitter, at Jeff Petronastro, and come hell or high water, we're all Wednesday, aren't we? I'll see you here again next week, I guess.